Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is that time of the week where we're going to do guy talk or guys who talk. And all you have to do to get uh, your questions on the program is to text them over to me, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. If you have a question about the Bible or there's been an issue in your brain that you have not been able to resolve, Send it over to us. Let us chew on it. We'll do our very best to come up with an answer. Again, 877-933-2484. The power panel today is Pastor Tom Parrish, Dr. Peter Kapsner, 007 Justin Jepson, and my friend Jeff Verdorn. Gentlemen, welcome. Good to be here, Bill. Nice to have everyone on board. Hi, Bill. Good to be here, Bill. Thank you so much. So before we get started, I always think it's helpful if we periodically um, kind of lay out a statement of faith on Guide Talk. So we want you to know uh, what it is uh, we believe on Guide Talk, and obviously we are a Christ-centered uh, radio show, so obviously Jesus is the reason and the answer. But, uh, Peter, maybe you could uh, give us a little articulation. Yeah, I think, uh, Bill, I appreciate just even that invitation, because I think one of the sweetest things about being part of the Faith Radio Network and events over the past few years, you you longer than me, is that we have so many listeners from so many different kinds of backgrounds, denominationally in particular. You have a lot of different kind of Protestant listeners, and then, of course, within the Protestant community, you have endless strains of Protestantism uh, of people that are listening. And, and the same thing then within the Catholic Church. We have so many people listening from the Catholic perspective as well. And and I think that's beautiful because it's, it's maybe the only place that I know of, and I've been in Christian ministries uh, vocationally for the past 30 years or so, where there's this kind of breadth and diversity of background religiously that is part of the same kind of community. And so there's a real sweetness with that. I think there's a challenge that comes with that because then people do have differences of opinion and different theological ideas, and that often is the origin of why we have so many different denominations. But what I appreciate, Bill, about what you've done and and how you've steered this ship for all of these years is that you've made Jesus the main thing, that to be a Christian— what it boils down to is I have said yes to following Jesus, no turning back. That That is the only mm-hmm. distinctive marker of being a Christian is can you say, yes, however stumbling you are, however um, you uh, however you fail at doing it, um, but, you, but you pick yourself up and say, yes, I'm following Jesus again. And then we're kind of seeing Jesus through a different kind of prism sometimes, and sometimes denominations have some really clear prisms, and sometimes historically there's some things that we need to talk about related to that, but we all stay together on the idea that we're following Jesus together, and, and I love that about the show. I, I don't know if there's a better statement that we can make than that. Mm-hmm. Now, Jeff Verdoren's a regular on my show, but uh, a newcomer today to uh, Guy Talk. Jeff, what are some of your thoughts on that? You know, just about every organization that I've been involved with, my church um, ministries that I've been involved with on boards and so on, they all have something called a statement of faith. And generally, they all have the same 
basic components. You know, the Word of God, it's inspired, it comes from God. A concept of the Trinity, who is God? Who is Jesus Christ? Who is the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. How are we saved? Uh, the, uh, potentially a, f- a statement on the future. What is the church? These are the kind of the common statements that unite Christians. Now, I believe that doctrine is linked together from beginning to end, and you start pulling at little pieces, and you start getting into trouble theologically. But in the end, what makes a Christian is faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved by faith alone, uh, by His grace alone, and that's what makes a born-again Christian. And Jesus Himself said, unless you are born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Tom Parrish. There's no question about it. Uh, years ago, I learned a very valuable lesson, and I can't prove this in the sense of it being written specifically. But I believe that when I stand before Jesus, there are only two questions he's going to ask me. Tom, did you love me? And that's the big one. And the second one is, who'd you bring with you? Because we're called to make disciples. And one of the reasons I love this show and I'm on this show, and Bill pays so well in in Diet Cokes. I drink a lot of Coke while I'm here. Mm -hmm. Is that (laughs) this is a show I get to talk about Jesus without anybody, you know, really going after me. And it's wonderful because it is the only name under heaven by which we must be saved. And so wherever you're at, whatever denomination you're in, whatever what it is, if Jesus is the center and you're really pursuing him, you're in a very good place, and we applaud you. 007. Yeah, I I love everything that's been shared so far. And I just, um, you know, for me, I just, I I put this all underneath kind of a kingdom perspective umbrella, you know, that... um, there, I don't know of another community of, of faith that I've been able to be a part of that has such a kind of a cross dimension of different denominations, different streams of Christianity that that hold to the essentials of what it means to be a Christian. That there's there's unity there, but yet there's a, there's so much charity and diversity mm-hmm. in some of the non-essentials. And you know, when Jesus says, "Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and everything else will essentially fall into its place." Uh, I think that's true as well as we're talking about different doctrines, different teachings, different scriptures. And, you know, I, I we hope and trust that, you know, our listeners are being nourished and strengthened and encouraged and equipped in their faith. But I, I as well, I, I, I'm, I also am coming not only as a, someone who gets to, to talk and speak into some of these issues and questions, but also as a listener, because I listen to you brothers and I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm being strengthened, and I'm being challenged. And so it's just, it's just a blast to be able to do that together. And um, as, as Peter said as well, Bill, I, I appreciate just the humble approach that you bring and the, the humor and, you know, the whole denom- denomination pieces. Because someone will ask me, what denomination are you? And I say, I like to say I'm an evangaptocostolic. Works for me. Yeah, raises an eyebrow. Like, what are you talking about? Well, like, well, I've been able to, you know, experience Jesus in so many different faith traditions and different denominations that I can see the value and, uh, you know, a diversity of perspectives and um, as well as recognize the different flaws and shortcomings. None of us have the corner market on the kingdom of God. We all need each other. So. Yeah, well said. All right, here's a question that just came in. I really don't know what the Bible means by faith. It says I'm to put my faith in Jesus. How do I do that? What a great question. Tom Paris, you go first. Well, faith, it's interesting. The Bible doesn't tell us to have faith in faith. And Jesus even talks about faith being the size of a mustard seed, one of the smallest seeds out there. The point is, who do you put the faith in? And the Bible is saying if you put your faith in Jesus. And so what I try to explain to people is this. 
I'm not expecting you to get a warm, fuzzy feeling if you put your faith in Jesus. I'm not expecting their, you know, the, power, the clouds to part and lightning to flash. What I am expecting, though, is that when you put your confidence in Jesus, he will begin to open your mind, your heart, the doors of your life to people, to the Bible, to opportunities, and you'll begin to grow. And the goal of knowing Jesus in this life is to represent him in everything we say and do. So for me, faith is so critically important, but faith is really a total confidence in Jesus, nothing else, that I he will give me everything I need to live for him and to speak for him. And ultimately, that's where I will be until the very day I die. Mm-hmm. That's a double. So a base hit will drive him in, Jeff. Go ahead. <laughs> You know, I, I love to talk about if you know one Greek word and, and knowing some Greek is pretty easy anymore. There's lots of tools where you can get at the Greek. But if you know one Greek word, I love the word for believe. Uh, the, there's actually two versions for believe and faith. One's the verb, one's the noun, but they're mm-hmm. basically the same word. Pistuyo is believe. Pistis is the Greek word for faith. Yep. And what that word means is this to believe it's true, and to entrust for salvation. Mm. So when the Bible says we're saved by faith alone, it's saying, I believe this thing is true, this gospel, that Christ came and died and rose again um, in power and glory, and I am entrusting in him for my salvation. So look at the simplest picture of salvation in Scripture. I think it's the thief on the cross. Remember he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into the kingdom. This is a guy who believed who Jesus was and was entrusting in him for his salvation coming into the kingdom, even though they were both about to die. That's biblical faith. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Justin? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that idea that this, that word, you know, pistuo or pistis is such a rich word, and it's not, you know, as Jeff was talking about, it's not just giving a mere intellectual assent to something, you know, believing the facts or the truth about who Jesus is. I mean, you know, James says that you believe in God, God is one, like good for you. Even the, even the devil does, you know, even demons believe and shudder. Um, but, but the type of belief that it actually reorients your entire perspective in future where you're, you're putting your, your confidence, your rest, um, your life's worth, sustenance and destiny in, um, that that Jesus is the one whom you are following, is is the one whom is with you, is the one whom is your security, your good shepherd. Um, you know, I think how many dozens of times the, the Gospel of John has the word believe, and that's the whole purpose of the book. The Gospel is written that you that by believing you may have a life in His name. And so I think really it's it's a belief that leads to receiving the type of incorruptible eternal life that is only offered in Jesus. And and it's a beautiful, messy, complex journey um, that I love scripture says that Jesus himself is the author and the finisher of. And so we can have that confidence that he always finishes what he starts. And, Mm. um, and so again, that, that beautiful journey with Jesus leading the way and writing our story um, is there's no other life like that. And so it's, it's entrusting oneself and one's entire being um, and their life into the hands of, of our Savior. Mm-hmm. If you just turned on the show, the question was, I don't uh, really don't know what the Bible means by faith. It says I'm to put my faith in Jesus. How do I do that? Then some great answers, and the last one up before break is uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner. What do you have, Pete? Yeah, I, you know, what Jeff said, too, and, and all, I just I found myself resonate with all the answers, but Jeff used the word entrust, 
And I think that's a really key word in this because I think sometimes we understandably get really troubled when we experience some measure of doubt because there's things about God's kingdom that are hard to process. They're hard to understand. Um, and we don't for sure really know maybe entirely what he is about in, in terms of how he's acting and interacting in this world. I mean, how many times over the years on Guy Talk have we taken the questions about the turmoil of suffering or did God really mean for this to happen or does God really control everything? Like all of these questions that theologians have been troubled by over the years and, and there's never been a silver bullet answer to any of them. And so when Jeff is using that word in trust, I think um, the, the, the beautiful invitation is that we can have intellectual uncertainty. We can have intellectual dissonance. We can have intellectual, like we don't really know for sure. There can even be doubt persisting in the midst of it. But, but that doesn't stop you from entrusting your life. It doesn't stop you from leaning in fully. So things like, like belief and faith is not related to the amount of intellectual certainty that you have about something. It is independent of any intellectual certainty you have or don't have, you still decide to yield yourself to Jesus. You still decide to bend your knee. You still decide to entrust your life, believing that he really is the king of a kingdom that is of no end and is really the only place in which you can bend, bend your knee and say that everything else in this world blows away like chaff. So to believe is to bend your knee independent of how certain you are about it. You still do it anyway. Great answers. We're going to take a little break. You're listening to the Guide Talk. The power panel today is uh, pastors Tom, Pastor Tom Parrish, Justin Jepson, Jeff Verdorn, and Peter Kapsner. If you have questions, let me know what they are. You can send them over via text, 877-933-2484. If you like email, it's bill at myfaithradio.com. Be right back. Guys who talk, let me know what your questions are, 877-933-2484 or bill at myfaithradio.com. Either way is good. The power panel today is uh, Tom Parrish, Peter Kapsner, Jeff Verdorn, and Justin Jepson. Always glad to have you guys together. Uh, you are my friends and my uh, my uh, soldiers in, in the Word and love having you guys uh, be part of this. Here's a question. What does it mean to be an overcomer in Christ? That's not like listening to a good motivational talk, is it? <laughs> what does that mean? Well, I, oh. if I can just jump in on this one quickly, Bill, um, and then I'm sure these guys can take it from there. The, what, what Jesus did, the, the fundamental sort of crux of the gospel on that, on that Good Friday and, and Easter Sunday is that prior to that time, um, something called sin and death reigned in this world, meaning that the, the sin and death that was reigning was killing God's people on earth. It was killing his imagers. They were enslaved to it. There was no hope in the midst of the sin that was coming for them. It just, it was too powerful. So when Jesus overcame um, sin and death because of the empty tomb, he went into those waters of death on, on Good Friday, but death couldn't hold him. And so when he burst out the other side on the Easter morning, what he did is he created a new kind of power in this world 
that overcame the power of sin and death. And so he begins to impart that same kind of power to the people who say yes in belief, as we talked about last segment, to following him. That doesn't mean we don't still struggle with sin and death. It just means that now sin and death don't have the last word in our lives. There's a different power operating in this world that we can access. And so we can, over time, begin to overcome that power. Hmm. In my experience, there's Tom Parrish speaking right now. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I like that. I just want to let people hear your your name before you speak. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) In my experience with counseling with a lot of people, what I've discovered is this. There are two kinds of people in this world. Those that trust in Jesus are truly overcomers. That is, they lose a child, something goes bad in their life, they get a disease. They're just as upset about it as somebody that doesn't believe initially. But along the way, they keep going back to Jesus in the midst of it. And I've watched people resolve even the pain in their lives saying, I don't like it, I don't want it, but I know Jesus will have the final word. My opposite experience with those that don't believe never get rid of it. They carry the bitterness, they carry the hurt, they carry the anger right up to the day they die. And I've been at the deathbed of people that have told me their anger, their anger at God, they would say, and their anger at people. And I don't want to be that kind of person. I want to be the overcomer that no matter what happens, I'm human, I don't like it, it hurts, it's painful, but ultimately, Jesus will have that final word and I trust in him. All right. Notice that both of those answers describe a Christian as being an overcomer. There are some who want to say that we have to overcome something in this life in order to become an overcomer to get the promises that are are spelled out to overcomers in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. There are actually seven letters to seven churches. Each one has a promise to him who overcomes. But John, who wrote Revelation, is also the one who wrote 1 John, and he uses the same word, Overcomer in First John, he says this, everyone born of God overcomes the world. So if we are born of God, if we are born again, we are an overcomer. We have overcome, uh, like Peter mentioned, sin and death because Jesus has conquered sin and death. And he's the one in John 16, 33, also written by John, I might add. He's the one that says, take heart. I have overcome the world. So we are in Christ, and therefore we are overcomers as well. Solid. Justin? Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Um, yeah, you know, I, I uh, one of the other texts that comes to my mind, again, also, you know, from the Apostle John, you know, John 10.10, 10, you know, Jesus says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that you may have life and have it to the full. And so I think part of being an overcomer is, one, we recognize who our true enemy is, um, uh, in this life and, and the power of sin and death that has been defeated. And being an overcomer means that I can actually receive and experience and express the very abundant life that Jesus provides uh, with him as our good shepherd, no matter what season, no matter what circumstance. And, you know, I think of well, as well as, you know, that John wrote um, about the saints who, who have been persecuted and and, the, and that they have overcome him in Revelation 12 by, it says, by the blood of the Lamb mm-hmm. and by the word of their testimony. And I love that. By the blood of the Lamb, that's the object of their faith, the word of their testimony, that they have placed that personal, they have entrusted themselves. And so really, I think that a life of faith is, a, is also a life of overcoming. Um, and again, uh, it's really the application of Jesus' finished work on Calvary in the empty tomb to our life 
on this side of eternity that results the final consummation of making all things new when Jesus returns. Mm. All right, here's a question that just came in. What if in your suffering you are so angry at Jesus? Mm -hmm. Tom Parrish? What I've told people is, okay, tell him. Tell him you're angry. Tell him you're upset. Tell him you don't understand. And Jesus is the only one that doesn't get offended. He doesn't get defensive. What he will do is he will reach out and begin to take you on a pathway that helps you begin to overcome that. And I've seen that in people because their anger uh, at Jesus, because they want to blame him because things didn't turn out the way they thought. And okay, that's life. That's the way it happens to a lot of people. But on the other hand, we live in a broken world. Jesus doesn't cause all of our problems by any means. But in the midst of our problems, he says, I'm going to be there. I'm going to help you deal with this. I'm going to help you walk through this. And that's what I encourage people to do. Keep talking to Jesus. Keep telling me how you feel. And I've watched people's language change over time. They would come in and they would say, I'm so angry with the Lord that he allowed this to happen. And the next time, you know, well, I'm angry with the Lord. And by the fourth or fifth or sixth time we prayed together and talked, they'll say, you know, I, I just don't understand what Jesus was doing, but I know he has my best intention at heart. Something happened, and that's what we want to do. Don't hide it. Don't bury it. Tell the Lord the truth. Mm-hmm. Anybody else want to jump in? Yeah, Tom, I, I really appreciate that because I think that I think so often, I, at least I grew up with this mentality that if, you know, anger is a bad thing, it's a wrong, bad emotion, and I need to deal with it and figure it out on my own. I could, wasn't something that I thought I could bring to the Lord in prayer. You know, but the Bible clearly says, be angry and do not sin. Yes. And and recognizing that anger is really, it's a secondary emotion. There's something else underneath that. And where does your anger point back to? And, and you mentioned, you know, suffering, grief, um, living the reality of, and the difficulty of living in a broken and fallen world. And I think I've told this story before. I remember um, after a, a tragic death of a friend in college, I just was wrestling with this and I, I was angry at God and I, I wouldn't admit it. I wouldn't say it, you know, even though of course he knows our thoughts and feelings and everything, uh, of course. But I, I remember having this moment um, and uh, outside at night on the side of a lake shore, uh, I finally threw up my hands toward heaven and I said, God, I am angry at you. And then I paused and I thought, Okay, what's going to happen? <laughs> you know, like I literally, and all I can tell you is that um, I, I I started with my hands shaking up up toward heaven, and I ended up literally with my face in the dirt, yeah. weeping before God, mm. and experiencing His presence in such a profound way. And that's the Lord led me on a journey of you know He is there with us, He um, grieves with us, He weeps with us too, and this is find so much encouragement from the Psalms um, that that express anger. We can express our anger to God. Uh, he can handle it. It's not going to turn him away. He's not going to love you any less. He'll actually meet you in, in a powerful way if we can simply be honest with God about it. Yeah. Lots more guy talk ahead. Let me know what your questions are. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. My power panel is Pastor Tom Parrish, Jeffrey Dorn, Peter Kapsner, Justin Jepson. Let me know what questions you have for me. Again, 877-933-2484. 
Back to the show where guy talk and guys who talk and they're here, they're ready to talk. So let me know what your questions are. They'll do their very best to answer your questions. 877-933-2484. Uh, here's a question that came in. Could the panel please talk about spiritual poverty uh, and the, the scriptures that were noted were Psalm 34, 6 and Matthew 5, 3. Who's got this one, Peter? Yeah, well, I think in light of uh, spirit, you have to think about spiritual poverty in light of our relationship with the power of sin that's at work. And we talked a little bit about that before the break. But um, sin has a there's an interesting analogy that uh, is used in the biblical text for sin, and that is when you're filled with the disease of leprosy. So, uh, leprosy being this kind of picture of sin that is disfiguring the person. And if you have leprosy, if you have a spot of leprosy and left unchecked, it's going to continue to grow and grow and grow and eventually just entirely capture and destroy the person with this sickening disease. And you, if you have it, you can't just wish it away. You can't will it away. You actually are in a, in a place of poverty related to the leprosy. You just simply can't get rid of it yourself. You're going to need some sort of outside force that can help intervene and and remove the power of the leprosy itself. And so now we have the picture of sin in our lives, too. To be spiritually impoverished doesn't mean that you've had a week of really poor, quiet times. It doesn't mean that you had a week where you didn't pray every morning. It doesn't mean you had a week where you, you had maybe had bad conversations with your spouse or something along those lines, however we might measure that kind of thing. To be spiritually impoverished is a posture that says, hey, look, I actually can't deal with the power of sin in my life. And it's so countercultural, isn't it, you guys? Because in, especially in America, we're constantly being fed the message that you do have what it takes. You can be whatever you want to be. Mm. You just have to, you have to buck up and just keep pull up the bootstraps and just keep doing it. And you can eventually overcome and overpower. And the message of the kingdom is simply, you cannot overpower the leprosy of sin. It will destroy you. You need a savior. And if you try to overpower it, you're actually making a mockery of the cross. If you could overpower it, Jesus himself would not have had to come and do the work that he did. So to be spiritually impoverished is not um, an indictment on your current discipleship. It simply is saying that you don't have what it takes to overcome sin. So you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to bend your knee and say, please fill me with the power to do this kind of work. And then the beautiful mm -hmm. pr promise of Matthew 5, 3 is that blessed are those who recognize that kind of impoverishment because for them, the kingdom of God just begins to, uh, to open. And you get to be filled with an yeah. entirely different kind of power and capacity and ability when you bend your knee. And it's, so it's countercultural, but that's the way of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. That's impressive, Peter. Not to mention you're in a completely different time zone than us. <laughs> and that was confusing to try to figure out how to say those words from a different time zone. Yeah, so. that was really well done. We really understood. Well done. <laughs> Who else wants to jump into that? Here's Tom. I love this. Here's Jeff. I love this poor in spirit line. This this word, uh, I actually did a study on this once, this Greek word patokos, and it means to be poor, to be needy, lowly, afflicted, destitute. These are the kind of the, mm. the definitions that are part of this, this concept. Remember, it, God says the, uh, pride goes before the fall. 
So pride, thinking of yourself highly, is obviously not looked very good upon by God. When you see yourself as being needy, as being poor, I think part of this is understanding your need for a Savior. If you mm-hmm. see you who you are before a holy God, if you see your sin as it really is, um, I, I think of that passage that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Once mm. you realize your need— in your poverty, in your brokenness, in your patokos, that you need this Christ to heal you of sin and death, then yours is the kingdom of heaven. I tend to gravitate towards uh, more of a salvation meaning in this passage that, hey, you can't, unless you think of yourself um, uh, in the right, proper way before God, he's holy, he's righteous, he's perfectly just, you're not, you're sinful, we're born in sin, we have sin within us, and once you understand that, that godly sorrow, that patokas, then we can reach out to God for that salvation, and then ours is the kingdom of heaven. Boy, Jeff Verdorn might, yeah. be, might be getting the game ball today. I like it. Yeah. Let me add a little to that, just for the fun of it. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I've told the story before about Karl Barth, one of the greatest theologians who ever lived, a German. In the 50s, he came to America. At a seminary, a student asked him during coffee time, can you sum up your theology in a few words? And this guy had written books. He was quoted all over the world, everything. And in, in, in sincerity, he said, yes, I can. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. For me, that's poverty of spirit, that the closer I get to Jesus, the more I realize I'm not as smart as I think I am. I'm not as wise as I am. I'm not as well off as I think I am. I need Jesus for everything, not just for salvation. I need him for every part of my life. And those who know that, it says, will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so good. This is Justin, by the way, Bill. I don't know if you want to even to. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Justin. I recognize okay. your voice, surprisingly. Well, Oh, wow. Well, thank you. I recognize yours as well. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I just made me think of a quote by um, one of our contemporary theologian, Scott McKnight, in his uh, commentary on, specifically on the Sermon on the Mount, talks about uh, poor in spirit as an inner disposition that relates to God and others because of a proper estimation of oneself. And that proper estimation of oneself, I mean, really, he's talking about an attitude of humility, which isn't something we conjure up or produce in ourselves. I mean, humility arises out of a high view of God. And so I think when we we get a a vision, as was talked about um, for some of the responses of of who God is and and, and his holiness, it's, it's then that we begin to see ourselves for who we are and for the world for what it is. And... Um, and really, it's embracing our complete helplessness and hopelessness um, apart from from Jesus rescuing us um, uh, from our from our state and, and and redeeming us and renewing us so that we can actually live as kingdom citizens. And so, um, you know, and it, it's, it's interesting, the context here, I mean, you know, Jesus, you know, addressing um, ones whom they he had just healed um, of an you know, those that were poor, those that were blind, those that were crippled, those that were lame, those that were demon-possessed. And this is why the crowd was gathered when he began to teach them um, these beatitudes, these countercultural uh, ways. The, the economy of his kingdom um, is completely inside out, upside down from, from the world. And so I think this poor in spirit is just simply recognizing I do not have um, what it takes, and, I, and I, I completely come up empty in and of myself, and, I, and I'm having a complete humility and a dependence upon uh, upon Christ. Does anybody other than me want to affirm Justin's good answer? 
Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, I mean, through gritted teeth, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Peter's texting me little prompts here and there. Yeah, so right. To, you know, <laughs> yep. That was brilliant. All right, we can move on unless anyone else wants to throw in anything else. Otherwise, the next question involves Matthew 27, uh, verses 52 and 53. And the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and peered to many people. This sounds like a big deal. How is it only in one of the Gospels? And there's a big dead silence. <laughs> that seems like the new guy, Jeff. Thanks, guys. Uh, is this the initiation part here? Is yeah, this would be the initiation. Yeah. Ran yeah. into it. So, yeah, so these are the Matthew 27 saints. And so the question is, are these people coming out of their tombs in glorified bodies or are these folks that had died and now are being have been resuscitated and are coming out in their natural bodies only to die again like Lazarus did. Mm -hmm. And I think that we can know, although we just have a verse or two here, I think we can know that these are not glorified body resurrections because Christ had not been resurrected yet. He isn't going to come out of the grave until three days later. And Christ mm -hmm. needs to be or must be biblically the first to be glorified, the first to be resurrected mm -hmm. unto glory. So therefore, I think these Matthew 27 saints are uh, uh, individuals. We don't know how many they are. We don't know how long they had been dead, but uh, some will uh, speculate that these were recently um, uh, people that had died recently so that, you know, Lazarus was in the grave for four days. So maybe within the last few days, and they came out of their graves at the death of Jesus uh, in their natural bodies. So, mm. Great answer, Jeff. Again, possible game ball. <laughs> can i just say are we Bill, keeping I, score by the I way am. i didn't know you guys no, i didn't I hear that part yeah oh. no i am okay. <laughs> well if you look at verse 50 in matthew 27 this is right after jesus gives up his spirit it happens right after he dies and that's when the temple the curtain is torn in two mm -hmm. the earthquake and the saints come out of the tomb and i think the message is simply this satan had his way up to the crucifixion and the death of jesus but Jesus is still going to have his way after death, and life is still going to be there. And those who have believed in him and trusted in him are never going to uh, be gone forever. They will rise. And this was just a prelude to that. So it all is tied yeah. together with Jesus' resurrection, and it's all his power. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, too, just to add on top of that, I mean, I think what's going on here is it's a foretaste of what the finished work on the cross was going to bring you know, I, I mean, on one hand, the surface level, wouldn't you? I was just one of those hard sayings of the scripture that I, I wish I could have been there. You imagine, oh. you know, like what that would have been like, like, hey, you know, Uncle Tom, I thought you we were at your funeral a couple of Where did you come from? You know, like, you just imagine, like, this is just one of those places of scripture. You just kind of need to shake your head a little bit. But I mean, you think this idea of, you know, behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, which essentially is meaning that the very holy presence of God is no longer residing in a particular geographical space and area in the temple. But yet the temple had not yet been fully destroyed. The Holy Spirit had not yet come and filled his people um, and making us the temple of the Holy Spirit. But yet this was a foretaste to come. And the same idea of the tombs also were opened um, is, is a foretaste of, you know, what, what Jeff was talking about, of what was to come. It wasn't a full glorified state, but it was saying that, like, 
the access to the presence of God that had been sanctioned off and secluded and isolated to a select few is now completely wide open. And now that that death, which encompasses everybody, um, that everyone is succumbing to the power of, of, of death, that has been defeated. The tombs are opening up. So I think it was just God's way of announcing a foretaste of, of really the ramifications and that Calvary was beginning to ripple out now into every aspect of, of life. Yeah, let me, let me add something that I said. Uh, I was halfway right. I'm halfway right about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> in, in 50, of course, Jesus dies, the temple, the curtain is torn in two, et cetera, et cetera. The tombs are open. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tomb. This can't, when Jesus came out of the tomb. So it is three days later with the resurrection, they came out of the tomb. The Turton, though, and that was torn into when he gave up the spirit. All right. Yeah, I got, I got nothing on this one, Bill. I mean, no, you guys already got the, he's already got the game ball coming his way. So I'm just yeah, he's got, my he's got the, the game ball. It's, yeah, no, it's over. It's, it's secure. Over. Yeah. I don't even know why we're participating at this point. But I will, so. I'll send you a gift card for an ice cream cone or something. Well, I appreciate that. That'll go down well. Yeah. All right, let me take a little break. You're listening to Guy Talk, and the uh, the power panel is ready to take your questions. So send them over, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Be right back. Back to Guide Talk. Guys who talk, they're all ready and willing to take your questions, and great questions are coming in today. The power panel is Pastor Tom Parrish, uh, Jeff Ferdorn, Dr. Peter Kapsner, and Justin Jepson. Always glad to have the panel together. And uh, when we were talking about the uh, gr- interesting verse that was uh, raised from Matthew about the uh, people after the uh, death of Jesus coming out of the graves and going into the town. Uh, I got a note that if you read the text that came out of the town after he had been resurrected, Jeff and you were during the break said you've got something to share on that. Well, it's, it, this is debated. Uh, there's basically some Greek syntax. And I, I wish I was a Greek, you know, expert. I, I'm not, but I understand that there's some questions about the syntax here. So the question is the the verse says at the moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two. At that moment, the, these people who had died were raised to life. They came out of their tombs. And then it says, after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Mm-hmm. So there is a debate whether or not they came out of their tombs after the resurrection or at the time Jesus died. And, and my understanding is there's a Greek syntax question there about which uh, the timing of when they actually came out. I see it as they came out of their tombs at the moment the curtain of the temple was torn. I still believe they weren't 
glorified because I believe the church is glorified at resurrection day. That's everyone and all believers, both the dead in Christ and those who are alive and remain will get their glorified bodies on resurrection day. And I believe that's the rapture of the church. So Mm -hmm. I still believe they came out of their bodies in their earthly bodies. Uh, So a resuscitation, just like Lazarus. Mm -hmm. Okay. Here's a question. Could the panel speculate as to if King Saul is in heaven? It's ultimately God who knows the heart of those that love him. So this probably is just a practice in conversation. So we don't have to spend a lot of time with this. Anybody want to comment on that? Go ahead, Peter. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh I just felt the, I felt the bus tires go right over me. <laughs> wow. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I mean, it does make for interesting conversation. But And, and I'm really not trying to beg out of this, but I... I, I to, to say yes would be fraught with peril. To say yeah. no would be fraught with peril. So I don't really know how to talk about it in the, that in the way that would be helpful. I, I will say this, is that it probably extrapolates out to have um, implications for friendships and relationships that we have that we wonder about. Like, I, I certainly understand that piece of it. But I, I, I see through such a glass darkly that I would not even want to hazard a guess on something like that. Mm. All right. Yeah, I don't know, but I know this. The only hero of the Old Testament is Jesus. And he talked about, on the road to Emmaus, about how the scriptures related to him in the Old Testament. The three great kings, Saul, David, and Solomon, if you read the end of their lives, they're all kind of ugly. I mean, Saul consulted the witch of Endor and wound up falling on his sword. You have David, who on his deathbed is telling Abner to go out and make sure a couple of people don't get to their graves too late and to take them down. And Saul... I mean, uh, Solomon, the last thing that we read about is that he was building temples to Moloch, the god of child sacrifice, for his foreign wives. So picture isn't good on any of them. It's up to the Lord what happened to them, but the real hero is still Jesus. Mm-hmm. I actually, I think he mm-hmm. most likely was saved. I get that there's this is wrought either way. I mean, there's issues both ways. But remember, what what I think what most people believe is the reason why he wouldn't be saved is that God takes his spirit from Saul. So in first Samuel, God takes his spirit from Saul. This, by the way, as the, as the Holy Spirit came upon people in the Old Testament for kings and prophets and so on, there was an anointing. It, nobody in the Old Testament was born again. No one in the Old Testament received the Holy Spirit as we received the Holy Spirit in the New Testament as a, as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Jesus said that we would receive the Holy Spirit and it would be with us forever. So as a New Testament believer, we'll never lose the Holy Spirit. Saul did. He lost the Spirit. I don't equate that, however, with his potential losing of his salvation. So I'm going to give Saul the benefit of the doubt. I lean towards that he was still saved and and is in heaven today, but I know that's debated. Mm -hmm. Saul leans that direction, too. He agrees with you. All right. Uh, let's see. I'm a Christian, but I'm uh, terrified of dying. I don't know how to deal with this fear. Is there any counsel you can give me? Would be appreciated. Yeah, if I can just jump in on that one. Yeah, Billy, Peter, go ahead. That, that's, yeah, that's been the road that I've been uh, walking on over the past three or four years. As I, I specifically went to God and uh, began to ask the question, you know, can, can you help me 
walk through the fear of death because it, it's just something we don't talk about as believers very much. Um, mm. you, you get really vulnerable when you're asking and that kind of question and making those kind of statements. And so I suspect a lot more of us are walking those pathways of fear than are willing to admit. So I really appreciate the, mm. the listener bringing up the question. And mm-hmm. I know for me, I just, I, I began to ask, I said, you know, we, we really don't know God. Uh, I mean, we know um, from the scriptures what the scriptures teach about what happens when we die. But I think if you mm-hmm. ask uh, even the most faithful of believers, and, and I have asked, and I've, and I've had those kind of conversations before, there's still, I mean, if we really believe that was true about what awaits us on the other side, all the way down to our, to our little toe, we would probably begin to long for the other side in ways that most people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But the fact is, is that most people don't long for it. Most of us do live with a fear of death, and, that, and that's primarily because um, there is fear, there is doubt, there is worry. If we're just being as, as vulnerable and as raw as we can be about it, most people live in some degree of that place. And in these last four or five years, I did begin to ask God, I said, you know, so I know that you can't bring a certainty unless you drag me to the other side and back again somehow. And, and I'm skeptical about so many of those kinds of stories. Um, but is there something else that you could grow within me? And I'll say this, Bill, I think for anybody that's listening today that is dealing with that fear, I know for me over these last uh, three or four years, we don't get the gift of certainty, but we do get the gift of assurance. And and it's a different kind mm-hmm. of gift. And I had a, a pastoral colleague um, counsel me in some of these ways as I began to ask the questions of her. And, and she said, uh, yeah, the Bible doesn't ever say that we get certainty, but we can get assurance. And and it's a song that I've quoted on air before, the old hymn that says, Blessed Assurance, mm-hmm. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste yeah. of glory divine. And those are a lot of old school words, but foretaste of glory divine means that in your spirit somewhere, in unexplainable, but very real ways nonetheless, you begin to experience a little foretaste of your future in the present. And that foretaste gives you a sense of assurance. These are hard things to talk about because they sort of are beyond your language to communicate. But here's what I can say to make a long story short. There's a growing assurance that is um, inescapable in my heart related to that which awaits me on the other side. And and it persists and grows strong even within the doubt. Um, Does it happen overnight? Maybe for some people it does. But for the person asking the question, it's such a beautiful question. I would just say, take your doubts and your worry and your fear and begin to ask God for that sense of assurance of what Mm. happens on the other side. One last piece of it, I have tasted the first authentic longings for our actual home. I mean, we we live in Mm. such a disorienting place. We are strangers in a strange land. This world is not our home. And, And that feeling for anybody that's ever traveled, when you get really close to your home after having traveled for a while and everything's a little disorienting, everything's a little weird, you don't really quite fit in or belong, when you finally get closer to your actual home here on earth and drop your luggage across the threshold of your doorway, you kind of just say, ah, I'm home. Hmm. And and those hmm. that's the kind of language that I'm beginning to experience in my own spirit related to the place where we truly belong as we travel as exiles in this world. I'm not ripping the game ball out of Jeff's hands yet, but that is awfully close. <laughs> One of the good things is we're talking about it, and that's the problem yeah. in the local church. Uh-huh. I don't know a yeah. sermon or a Sunday school class where these topics come up and there can be an honest discussion. Even in the yeah. home groups that I've helped start, rarely do people talk about these things, and yet they're deep inside of us. We need to talk about it. And it is amazing when this is brought up, like in a small group, how many people will say, you know, my mom was a believer, and when she died, she had been in a coma. But that last moment, 
in, in this case, she opened her eyes with a big smile and said, Jesus. And to hear those kind of stories over and over at the final moment is pretty mm-hmm. exciting. And I've been with about 50 people at the moment of death. I've seen a lot of this. So the reality is there. Mm-hmm. We just need to keep talking to one another and sharing the truth of the gospel. Mm. Yeah. 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 I think that's really, those, that's so good. And I, um, I, not that this is going to add a whole lot, but I just, uh, you know, actually a text that Peter, that actually you, you often see, I'm seem to always bring me back to is this idea of, you know, perfect love casts out all fear. Mm. And in order for there to be any, you know, if there's fear in death, it's because, you know, fear, fear will always grow um, wherever there's lies and, and truth is going to shed the light to drive out the darkness um, of those lies. And I think part of that is, yeah, the, the reality that we just don't talk about it. We're not honest about it. And, you know, the same way that we don't go to God over uh, the anger that we have, we don't also maybe bring our fears to him. And as Peter is talking about, the more and more that we can begin to bring all of what we are, all of who we are into all of who God is, um, when his love touches that, um, those aspects of whether it is anger, fear, doubt, insecurity, um, that, that is the power that will overcome. And and I remember as a kid being absolutely horrified of 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 dying because of I, didn't, I wouldn't literally would not want to go to bed at night because I was afraid what if I didn't mm. wake up mm. and and I and I just and I still remember again learning about the truth of who Jesus is and that the fact that He's coming back and that that the power of death is no more I mean that truth will end up seeping down into your soul and yeah. drive out yeah. all fear. Gentlemen, thank you so much. An awesome episode of Guy Talk. We'll do it again soon. We'll take a little break, and we will be back with Pastor Rusty George. His new book is A Simple Path to Following Jesus. That's all next. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.